2 Samuel 23. Uh, there are times when you look down and you realize that you should have got somebody else to do the Bible reading this evening. Um, but you'll find out why in just a moment. 2 Samuel 23. I'm going to be one of those reading, reading around and everybody reads a couple of verses. That could be entertaining. Um, but let's read God's Word together. Verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. Joseph, Bashabeth, a Tecomanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz Daman for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Haraharite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah stood his, took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zeruiah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehodiah. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Among the thirty were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, son of Dodo from Bethlehem, Shama the Haradite, Elikah the Haradite, Helez the Paltite, Ira son of Ekesh from Tekoa, Abiezer from Anathoth, Mebunai the Hushathite, Zalmon the Ahohite, Mahariah the Nethophathite, Heled son of Bana the Nethophathite, who comes up with these? Eh? Ethel son of Rebbi from Gibeah and Benjamin, Benaiah the Perarthite, Hidai from the ravines of Gash, Abi Albon the Arbathite, Asmatheth the Barhumite, Eliaba the Shalbanite, the sons of Jason, Jonathan son of Shammah the Hararite, Ahiham son of Sharar the Hararite, 
Eliphalet, son of Hashabai, the Machathathites, Eliam, son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Hezro, the Carmelite, Pariah, the Arbite, Egal, son of Nathan, from Zobah, the son of Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Berethite, the armor-bearer of Joab, son of Zeruiah, Era, the Ithrite, Gareb, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite. There were 37 in all. Amen. <laughs> I love those preachers that stand up and say, and there was a long list of <laughs> names. But it's good to read them out sometimes. When David Livingston, was the missionary pioneer, was working in Africa, some friends wrote to him, we would like to send other men to you. Have you a good road in your area yet? Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. By way of contrast, a cartoon in Leadership Magazine a number of years ago poked fun at the low level of commitment required in many modern churches. It pictured a church building uh, with a sign uh, on the front which read, The Light Church. 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute, what's that about? 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments. You, your choice. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium, everything you've wanted in a church and less. Down through the ages, whenever God has done a significant work, he has done it through a band of committed people. God doesn't work through the lukewarm, but only through those who are fervent in their love for Christ and his kingdom. This was the case when David's kingdom was established. Though through David's reign, the name of the Lord God of Israel was published far and abroad. But great as he was, David did not stand alone. Surrounding him were a band of mighty men who accomplished great feats of valor. They were committed to David, to his kingdom, they are David's mighty men, and we find them listed here in 2 Samuel 23. David had many great characteristics which helped him stand out as a leader, but there were also two other important factors that kept David going. God's promises, his prophetic word, and God's people who partnered with him. Last time round, we looked at David's final words and recognized in the first few verses of this chapter the fear, the faithfulness, and the fire of God that kept him going. He spoke clearly of God's promises, his everlasting covenant with David. As David's life is drawing to an end, we see clearly, too, uh, a recognition that he couldn't have achieved all he had done alone. He needed God's people who partnered with him. We might personalize it like this. God's promise and God's people are God's provision to help God's people persevere. There's a lot of G's and P's in there. Isn't that good? I want, us, I, I want to ask us tonight, though, are we standing on God's promises? And are we standing with God's people who partner with us? If God is going to accomplish a great work among us today, then he wants to raise up a band of mighty people in our midst who can do great exploits for God. 
He's looking for those who are fervent in their love for him, who are committed, who are willing to give their all. We've just sung the words of Isaac Watts, haven't we? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you one of the mighty of our day? Will you continue to partner with me as I partner with you to serve God in this place? Let's go through this list of David's mighty men and see what we can glean uh, from them. For in these verses, we'll find some names and some exploits of those who stood with David during the difficult years of exile and during his reign. Many of these uh, men probably came to him in 1 Samuel 22, that chapter when we read that he had escaped to the cave of Adullam uh, when he was an outcast. And they've stood with him since through the thick and through the thin. These men assisted David in ascending to the throne and helped him extend the borders of the nation. David could not have done what he did had God not surrounded him with mighty people. We begin in verses 8 to 12 with a trio of mighty men, and they are named. These, he says, verse 8, these are the names of David's mighty men. And this first group includes three men that achieved incredible, if not miraculous, victories in battles. Because of their heroic achievements, they stood above the rest. It was evident their success was because of the Lord. And they are named so that they could be honored the first of the three mighty men named is uh, Josheb Bashebeth, uh, chief of the captains. He is also known as Adino uh, or Jasobim. Evidently, he was the leader of the top three men, perhaps the chief military advisor. He is said to have killed 800 men at one time. We read that there. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now, I've uh, as you prepare a sermon, you do lots of background reading, and I'm amazed at the number of commentators who want to contend uh, that as he raised his spear, the fear of the Lord consumed these men and drove them off the cliff, or, or others think that uh, this man's courage inspired others to join him in battle, and the battle was simply credited to him. I want to contend, actually, that we just take this at face value because that's the best way to deal with God's Word, actually. This man killed all of them. This is the Bruce Lee Marshall art films of my childhood, the Steven Seagal films, the James Bond, the Jason Bournes, where one man somehow manages to defeat all others around him. You know the scenes I'm talking about. I'm sure there'd be a circle of folks all around the hero, and he takes them on one by one, and all we're left with at the end is a big pile of bodies sitting to the side and our hero striding away. Unbelievable. And yet, what is so unbelievable about Josheb Basabath killing 801 encounter? God doesn't blink at those odds, people. He doesn't uh, give up at those type of situations. He is at work to bring glory to his name. Just think of a few situations in the Bible uh, uh, that pop into your mind. Elijah uh, against uh, 450 prophets of Baal, Gideon, uh, 300 men uh, against the Midianites, 120,000 probably. 
one boy's little brown paper bag with his lunch in it, and the presence of 5,000-plus hungry stomachs in Galilee. God can do amazing things. And here, he helps one man kill 800. The next hero among the big three is Eleazar, the son of Dodai, the Ahoite. Verse 9, as one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at past Daman for battle. Uh, then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Look at that. After defying the Philistines, he stood his ground with David. When the men of Israel ran away, he stood his ground. He fought with all of his might, never quitting, refusing to run, gaining the victory. When the battle was finished, it was almost as if his hand was glued to his sword. Perhaps his muscles were unable to release it after them being clenched around it for such a long period of time in battle. Then we've got Shammah there, a brave man from the mountainous country of Judea. He confronted the Philistines while they were foraging for food and defended the ground while others fled. Verse 11 says, next to him was Shammah, son of Agi. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. You've got to ask yourself, why bother about defending the land when others have ran away, when others have fled? And the answer is because it's the Lord's, and the Lord had given it to the people to inhabit and to maintain. And the answer is because the Lord is there. Shammah means there. In Ezekiel 48, 35, we find one of those great names of God. You know, as you go through the Old Testament, you see Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. And in Ezekiel 48, we find Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And so Shammah stands and he defends and he strikes and he wins. This trio teaches us about fighting against the odds about leading well, about sticking to the task, about standing your ground, important characteristics for the mighty people of God in this day and age, and particularly in this day and age when the world is against us, when Satan is attacking God's people, when culture is invading the church. We are to stand firm and to stick to our task to the very, very end. Stand on the Word of God. Don't waver. Stand on the very promises of God. And let's remember that God is always with us. In fact, let's make sure that we notice that here. And don't think that these were just exceptionally uh, great men because that would be so easy for us to do. It's so easy for us to pick people out of the Bible and say, weren't they great and strong and mighty and brilliant in battle? But let's not do that. Verse 10 and verse 12 uncover the secret behind it all, at least for Eleazar and Shammah. It says, the Lord brought about a great victory. Verse 12, the Lord brought about a great 
victory. God is at work. God is bringing the victory. We stand in his power and not our own. Stand on the promises of God. Stand in the power of God. Stand with the people of God and have those words of Isaac Watts ringing in your ears. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We then move to another threesome, this time a trio of mighty men who are unnamed Verses 13 to 17 introduce three more men to us, and I think they're separate from the first three that we've just mentioned. It says, during harvest time, three of the uh, 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. The three mighty men first mentioned are separated uh, from the 30 if our list at the end is anything to go by. This current three, we are told, are part of that 30 Although which three of the 30, we've got no idea because we're not told they're unnamed. These three, though honored above the others, did not attain the level of the first three. They did prove to be brave when they joined David in the cave of Adullam. This might have been when Saul pursued him or on a separate occasion after David had become king in 1 Samuel 22 with the hot weather arousing his thirst. David seemed to crave water from the well of Bethlehem. The city of Bethlehem was located about six miles from Jerusalem. The well was about a mile from the gate of the city. And David was from that area, so uh, the well may well have held sentimental value to him. But he would have uh, to do without any water from there because the Philistines had a garrison at the city. The Philistines were protecting uh, the city. But apparently, David's earnest desire encouraged these men to break through the Philistine lines, retrieve some water, and return to him in the camp. And this was done without David's knowledge, but for his benefit, their love for their king was evident. David was grateful. But look what he does. He refuses to drink the water the men risked their lives for. Verse 17, far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? not wanting to enjoy pleasure. While his men sacrificed, he selflessly went without like the others. Instead, he poured the water out unto the Lord, it says. David was blessed with valiant men who willingly risked their lives for their leader. And the lesson here is a very simple one. Let us serve the Lord with that much dedication. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Back to Isaac Watts again, isn't it? Love's so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Having had two trios, uh, we now come to a duo. Uh, in verses 18 to 23, uh, two special mighty men these men distinguished themselves with bravery. Their conduct was remembered and recognized. And actually, these are the last of these mighty men listed where we find details of some of their exploits. We're introduced to Abishai in verse 18, the brother of Joab, son of Zeruai, uh, chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three, was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. 
This brave man defeated 300 Philistines in one battle. You'll remember he went with uh, David into Saul's camp. He took away Saul's spear, his water jug, which was near his head in 1 Samuel 26. He also beat the Edomites in the Valley of Salts, relieved David when in danger from Eshbe Ben of the giant in 2 Samuel 21. Sometimes he had more zeal than wisdom, though, this man. He wanted to kill King Saul. He offered to cut off Shimei's head for cursing David. In spite of all of Abishai's flaws, he was a mighty man of valor whose courage and skill in war could not be denied. Abishai was given a prominent place in Israel's military hall of fame because he was a mighty man of valor. Abishai's life is comforting to me because it reminds us that mighty servants are going to make mistakes. They will sometimes have real lapses in judgment. They might not be the most compassionate people in the camp, and they may turn off as many people as they help. Abishai certainly did that if you look through his life as recorded in 1 and 2 Samuel. These kind of servants require a lot of grace, but they will do stuff that no one else can do. I'm sure I've been that way before. The greatest mistake that we make in the body of Christ is, forget, is to forget that we are all sinners. And so we try to hold each other to impossible standards at times. We are sinners, saved by grace. And God can use us despite our sin. Then we come to Beniah in verse 20. A valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. Benaiah killed two sons of Moab, two of the best of Moab in and of itself. That maybe doesn't sound all that impressive compared to killing 300 or, or 800. But there's more, there's much more to his life. He met the worst of enemies, a, a lion in the worst of places, down in a, a pit under the worst of conditions on a snowy day. And he won. Who wants to find themselves in a contained small pit with a lion when it's slippery and slidey? No one. But he won. We then read that he went up against a giant, an Egyptian who held a spear in his hand. Verse 21, it says, he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. This is all the more impressive when you realize from 1 Chronicles 27, uh, verse 5, that Benaiah was born to serve as a priest, but he became a soldier and the commander of David's bodyguard. Here was a priest who was willing to dirty his hands and to put his faith into practice. And there is a lesson from this mighty man for you and for me. We are to put our faith into action. It's no use learning the things of God, but not living them out it's no good acquiring knowledge, but not applying that in how we live and act. We need to get into the battle. We need to roll up our sleeves. We need to get involved. It's back to Isaac Watts' words again, just to be a bit repetitive tonight. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The author concludes his Fighters Hall of Fame by listing at least 30 men who were mighty men of war. This group is called the 30, David's elite bodyguard. He tells us down in verse 39, actually, that there were 37 in all, and yet the actual count is less if you work your way through them. 
Part of this is probably because we don't know how many sons of Jason, verse 32, there were. Also, some of these men, like Uriah, had died and were replaced by others, no doubt. The parallel passage in First Chronicles 11 is larger as well. And so if you want to try and play the games of trying to count 30, let me discourage you from doing that because it'll be hard work and you'll just get nowhere at the end of the day. If there was a kind of honor guard of 30 of the bravest and most heroic soldiers, the ranks would probably be filled with a new inductee whenever one of the group died. We're not told any details about the heroism of this list of men. Little is known about these men, except that David recognized who they were. For the most part, all we have is a name and a place of residence but that's okay. And it's okay because quite simply, it reminds us that David didn't do this alone. He had many devoted followers who are willing to help him. We think of David as a mighty warrior. He was. But how far would he have gotten without his loyal and gifted soldiers? Most of the men listed here come from Judah. This is to be expected since Judah was David's tribe and he reigned there before the nation was united. Uh, but the 30 also included three men from Benjamin, the, the tribe of Saul. Another two came from Ephraim. One man came from Dan, another from the tribe of Gad. Three of the cities of origin are not mentioned elsewhere. Two uh, are, are the name of more than one place. Three, including Uriah, were Gentiles. Once again, we find Gentiles playing a part in God's salvation of his people. Uh, looks to me as though a number of those named here are men who joined David early in his public life before he became king and while he was fleeing from Saul. All these men recognized that God's hand was upon David and they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. The diversity of this army speaks well of David's leadership. But you know, it's also okay because even although we do not know much about them, God wanted their names listed here. He had their names recorded in his word, and one, one day will reward each one of them for the ministry they performed. David's name is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible, while most of these men are mentioned but once or twice. However, if you read your New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, when they meet the Lord, it says at that time, each will receive praise from God. These men were to be remembered for their brave actions and their dedication was to be emulated by those that followed. Not all were given the same abilities, but all were diligent with what they had. Believers should be content with the abilities that God has given us. They all had different positions and responsibilities, yet they were all able to serve with honor. Like these men, believers should be faithful where God has placed them. Remember, the Lord knows our actions. He is paying attention to how we live, and he will reward the faithful. Friends, this chapter is recorded here to remind us of the mighty people the Lord is looking for still today. He is looking for those who will stand firm, and stick to the task to the very end. He is looking for those who will stand on the word of God and won't waver. He is looking for those who will stand on the very promises of God. 
He is looking for those who will stand in the power of God, looking to him alone for strength, for courage, for enabling, for leading. He is looking for those who will serve the Lord with commitment and with dedication. He's not looking for those who are perfect, but for those who are willing to roll up their sleeves and put their faith into practice. He's looking for those who will faithfully follow their leaders, quite simply. He is looking for those who will be faithful in using the gifts he has given them in his service, whether they happen to be recognized here on earth or not. As we said at the beginning, he is looking for those who are fervent in their love for him, who are committed, who are willing to give their all. Friends, is that you this evening? Are you willing and ready to give your all to follow and to serve King Jesus? And let's echo the words of Isaac Watts. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that you would forgive us for those moments when we open our Bibles and we see a list of names and we get a little bit agitated and a little bit bored, a little bit wondering what's this all about. Lord, we want to thank you that you carefully put that list there in order to teach us some amazing lessons to remind us that you call ordinary people and you equip them and you enable them and you energize them and you excite them and you are able to then use them for your glory and for your honor. You're able to do mighty things with them, Lord, unbelievable things with them when they put their lives in your hands. And so, Lord, would you take us We give ourselves to you this evening, Lord. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus. We want to serve Jesus with all that we have, with every breath within us, with every ounce of energy within us. Lord, we want to serve and to honor you. Lord, would you give us the strength and the courage and the ability to do that this week? Would you help us as we've thought on these words this evening? Not to let them just run away like so often happens, But Lord, would you allow us to think on these words tonight and tomorrow and the day after? And Lord, would you help us not just to think on them, would you help us to apply them to our lives, that we would stand for them, that we would stick to the task, that we would stand on the word of God, that we would stand on the power of God, that we would stand with the people of God, and that we would give our all to witness for you and to serve you. Lord, help us to be your faithful followers. And Lord, as we sang those words earlier, as we've echoed them through this psalm, Lord, would you hold us to them, we ask, as we remember that that love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, we give our all to you this evening, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.